With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Wildcat Radio. Welcome back, Wildcats, to Wildcat Radio. We are your source for Arizona football, basketball, and recruiting news. Be sure to follow us on social media. WildcatRadioAZ.com is our website, our social media Twitter handle, at WildcatRadioAZ, Facebook, Wildcat Radio. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can do so for free through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, etc. All podcast catchers. Adam, it is. Uh, I, I am not good at picking against the spread, and no. that is well documented on our website. Once again, wildcatradioaz.com. Adam Green, you are you and everybody else. You're just running away with this thing. I, I'm seven games under 500. <laughs> I, I, I need you to help me out here with some tips. Yeah, I don't even know how I'm doing it. Everybody knows I got off to a slow start. That's why everyone started challenging me, I think. And that kind of inspired me to start knowing what I'm talking about. It looks like. So I'll take the good, good stretch, and I believe in you. I think you can turn things around, too. And But I don't think either of us are going to win. Like even <laughs> that, I'm on this nice run, and I'm still pretty far behind myself. There are a couple of guys ahead of me. So, you know, just trying to be respectable, that's all. That's Yeah, and, and I'm not. I'm not being. I'm not respectable at all right now. So I really got to turn this thing around. Only a few more weeks. Well, I guess five more weeks now at this point because we haven't had our bye week yet. But, um, but Adam, you were uh, you were in L.A. You were at the Rose Bowl for the I game was. this past weekend. How was the weather? How was the crowd? It didn't look too packed, and I don't think it should have been. But, uh, yeah, I mean, how, how was it overall? The weather was great, and the Rose Bowl is a dump. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those historical okay. stadiums, but, you know, it's not it's not a great stadium. And even the in-game atmosphere and how much of this was because it was Arizona against UCLA during a year where UCLA has just been terrible, I don't know. But the in-game atmosphere was just awful. You know, everything they tried to do to fire people up just seemed so cheesy. And there was really an empty stadium. It's a big stadium, mind you. So, I mean, it could hold quite a few. And so they could, might have had a lot of people, but it just looked more empty than I'm used to. But, you know, it was kind of a... I think the crowd understood, or most of the crowd, it was their homecoming too, but I think most of the crowd understood that this was a game between two not very good football teams that, while it was fun, it got to be entertaining, and it was kind of funny at times, it really didn't mean much. So, you know, had a good time out there outside of the final score of that game. But, yeah, if you've never been to the Rose Bowl, it's definitely worth going. But don't keep, don't have these expectations like you're going to be walking to some just magical venue. Maybe for the actual Rose Bowl game, it's done up a little bit nicer. But for just a regular UCLA game, it was one of the lesser venues I've ever been in. I'd say. Wow, that's that's a bit disappointing. I mean, it's Rose Bowl, it's still cool. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there are nicer that, stadiums. I'm sure there are, and, and you're probably right. I mean, I guess a lot of it probably has to do with the matchup, right? You know, like there could be something magical with a with a USC versus Michigan or Ohio State coming in. You know, like two powerhouse conferences. You know, it's just prestigious, uh, historically relevant uh, teams. That is, but you know, UCLA in, in a down year that they're having, they did pick up their second win. Of course, uh, a three and four Arizona team coming into this game. It definitely wasn't. Uh, it was on ESPN too, but uh, I think you probably could have found a couple better games. But I guess I don't want to sell it too short, right? I mean, it ended up being pretty entertaining towards the end, right? I mean, really, the the first half was interesting. Uh, first half, seventeen seven UCLA. Of course, there was the dreaded strip. Uh, Darnay Holmes took a, took away a touchdown. From J.J. Taylor, uh, I, I was actually at a wedding for the first half of this game, Adam, and uh, so I was keeping up on my phone and, you know, got to halftime and I saw it was 17-7. And I was like, oh, OK, well, that, that's pretty good. I had no idea that that strip had happened. There. Yeah. And then and then, of course, when I get home, I turn it on and that's all they're showing at halftime. And then you know, I kind of heard something about it on the way home because, you know, in, in Phoenix, in the Phoenix market, all the games air on uh, 910 uh, Fox Sports, 910 a.m. So it's like, yeah, OK, getting an idea of what's going on. 
It was brutal. I, you know, obviously the second half was a lot better. I mean, obviously Arizona outscored UCLA in the second half, but it wasn't enough to get it done. The final score, 31-30 UCLA. Let's start with the obvious here. I mean, you know, I think Red Rod started out not so great, but he got pretty respectable, I think, throughout the game, right? Yeah, I mean, he looked like I think anyone would have expected him to, and he was a little bit nervous probably early on, had to settle in, and I mean, you got to remember, he threw an interception on their second drive. They were rolling. He threw it into the back of the end zone. He got pressure, just threw the ball up for grabs, and he paid for it. And that's that's kind of what made it tough for their first half was they had two turnovers in the red in the end zone, not even in the red zone, in the end zone. It was the ball was recovered. So, you know, Rhett Rod, he, overall, he was fine. I keep, they didn't lose the game because of Rhett Rodriguez. I guess I'll put it that way. But he's also, I mean, there were some throws that he just can't make. He doesn't have the arm strength or he didn't see some open receivers. Arizona's last drive where, last time Arizona had the ball and they ended up kicking the field goal, uh, he hit Poindexter for a long gain that Poindexter was about two or three steps past the defender. And if the ball's on the money instead of under throw, and he walks in for a touchdown that gives the Wildcats the lead. So, you know, Rhett Rodriguez looked like a very competent backup against a very not good UCLA team. But, no, they didn't lose because of their quarterback. They lost for other reasons. So if that's a compliment, I don't want to kind of denigrate what Rhett Rodriguez did. I thought he played well enough for Arizona to win, but he wasn't good enough to win the game for Arizona. Yeah, you know, so he starts two of 12. You talked about the interception early on that second drive. The second half, you could tell he really started to settle in, right? So his final numbers, 15 of 34, 231 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. I mean, even even that second interception he had was, I guess I, I don't want to... I don't want to put too much blame on him or get too mad about it just because, I mean, it felt like those type of plays were working off and on. Right. And now, even though he wasn't picked off prior to that pass, uh, you know, and, and, and the defender, I feel like made, made a very good play on it. You know, he was being picked on really throughout the game up to that point. And then, you know, he, he made uh, Rhett Rod pay for it eventually. Uh, And, you know, I guess those are the type of things you have to live with, right. Going into this game, what I, I think the line grew as high as 10 point underdog. I mean, Vegas just had, little 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 respect for arizona little hope that they'd be able to do anything in this game and they made it they they made it very interesting i mean they had the lead in the fourth quarter at one point so uh that in itself is quite the feat you know i I think overall the the big takeaways here uh arizona was able to move the ball not in the air as much as we'd like to see but enough to get it done but it was really on the ground. J.J. Taylor, Gary Brightwell, uh, they, they, they combined for, what is that, 275, 275 yards, one touchdown easily could have been a little bit more yardage, probably about another 10 yards and another touchdown. But, um, you know, it, it, it's really hard to be mad at the offense here. You know, if you get 30 points in a game with your backup quarterback, a redshirt freshman quarterback, it kind of feels like, you know, that that is hopefully going to be enough. It just turned into a situation where the defense couldn't make key stops, specifically on that last drive of the game where, you know, U of A takes that field goal to get within one point, uh, 30, 31-30, excuse me, around the, around, uh, what is that, about the 6-30 mark or so. Then UCLA just bleeds the clock, 12 plays, 55 yards, six and a half minutes. That's the game. Yeah, and I mean, it's... <laughs> The offense did its job. In the second half, they there was only one drive where they didn't score points, and that was an interception, of course, in UCLA territory. But at the same time, like for the offense, when you have a game like they did, this was basically the Oregon State playbook. where They just run, run, and run some more, do everything they wanted. Their problem was they didn't have great quarterback play. They just had competent quarterback play. And I know that sounds like I'm blaming Rhett Rod, but I think he did the most he could with what he has. But yeah. let's keep mm-hmm. this in perspective. Arizona offensively, if they run the ball like that, with J.J. Taylor and Gary Brightwell, they should win 10 times out of 10. It, doesn't, it almost doesn't matter who they're playing. They should be winning that game. They should probably score more than 30 points. You know, yeah. And you said the defense, who could not get a stop in the, in the scene like that last drive, and I remember talking to my friend at the game. I'm like, geez, it's just like any time this defense, Arizona got the lead in the second half, the defense gave it right back. Let's remember that Arizona defense gave up 14 points in the second half of that game. You know, seven in the third quarter, seven in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, you know, as much as we want to say they didn't get the stop at the end, and they didn't get the stop at the end. It was, what, three third downs that UCLA converted on their final mm-hmm. drive there when Arizona brought it back within one? I think 30 points against UCLA probably isn't enough, especially when you have that kind of running game. So, I mean, this was a game where Arizona was better than UCLA. And as down as a lot of people are on the Wildcats this season, and deservedly so, they're a better team than UCLA, even with Rhett Rodriguez at quarterback, just with the turnovers. 
You know, you have a fumble into the end zone. You have an interception in the end zone. That's two right there that takes at least probably 10 points off the board, if not 14. You have another interception in UCLA territory, and that's how you lose to a bad team. That's how you get upset. And if you're Arizona, especially without a healthy Khalil Tate, your margin for error is so slim to where if you lose a turnover battle, you can lose to a team like UCLA on the road. So, you know, it was encouraging, I think, overall, because it showed that Arizona is a more talented team than UCLA, but they just... They're not good enough as currently constructed with their injuries and especially at quarterback to beat a team even as bad as UCLA without playing a good football game. And Arizona really did not play a good football game. They played well enough to win, but not a good football game. And that's why they didn't win. Yeah, there there, there are some encouraging point, points for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm with you there. It's just I, I'm just I, I feel like I'm, I'm past the moral victory. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, right. You know. It, you know, and, and I'm not one for moral victories to begin with. I mean, I guess you could chalk one up here just because you show, you, you saw some life out of the offense uh, that, that was led by Rhett Rod. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one, though. I think that there, there's a very positive piece to this. If you're looking for any silver lining, Josh Pollock. Josh Pollock, I, I felt very confident with him uh, all throughout the game in this one. He was three for three from field goals, three of three of extra points. I mean, that, that was just a fantastic game. And honestly, uh, you, you, you need a kicker in those type of situations where, where you know that the offense may have a hard time punching it in, right? You know, we, we, we have the tools to get up the field to, uh, to, 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 to really in between the 20s, if you will. But, you know, to be able to punch it in in the red zone, it's a completely different beast. And, you know, there were instances where, you know, three times, if you will, uh, where we were unable to do so. And it could have even been more to your point right if we, if we didn't have uh, the one interception the first interception and then who knows i mean jj taylor most likely runs that in without any issues but you know three of three from the kicking and that's something we've been banging on all year mm-hmm. the kicking has just been uh, atrocious and this seemed to somewhat stabilize so i i would hate to think that 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 this could have been our best kicking game and, and it was all for a loss but i mean i guess in, in another way to look at it, i mean it was at least an interesting uh, entertaining game is maybe a better way to describe it yeah, it wasn't a good foot. I mean, it wasn't a good football game in the sense that these were two good teams going at it, throwing haymakers. But it was entertaining. And you're right. Like we talk about the kicking game, and it's we always talk about how it's going to cost them one of these games where you can't make two or four field goals and expect to win. You're going to lose a game, and and this is the type of game where that could have been the case. I mean, Arizona lost mm-hmm. by a point. And granted, Josh Pollock. I mean, I felt confident if Arizona got the ball back, they could drive into field goal range and at least get a good attempt at whether Pollock would have made it or Me not. Me too. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But you know, this was a game where. He, he did his job, and so many people did their jobs. I mean, Dylan Klumpf had a good game, too, I thought, punting the ball. And you know, just Arizona made enough mistakes with the turnovers. And yeah. I know it, I mean, it's a very simple way to look at it. And sure, if Arizona gets a stop here and there, but you look at the stat breakdown in this game, and Arizona looks like they dominated. You know, I mean, Arizona had significantly more yards, 60 more yards. They passed the ball fairly well. I mean, usually they put the ball in the air more. But Arizona's running game was far superior. Arizona had half as many penalties. Like, it wasn't a bad like, – box score-wise, it wasn't a bad effort from Arizona, but this is football, and if you turn the ball over, you have to be really, really more talented than the other team to make up for it. And on the road, even against a bad team like UCLA, Arizona just wasn't good enough to overcome their own mistakes. And that's disappointing because you'd like to think this far into the season they're not going to be shooting themselves in the foot, but J.J. Taylor's had a fumble issue at times, and of course, Rhett Rodriguez, just he doesn't have the arm strength to get away with some of the throws that he's trying to get away with, and you know, even a couple of his throws, you just lofted him up there for Poindexter, who came down with it, and good for him for trusting his receivers, and great on the receivers for making him look good for doing so, but just, you know, Arizona, and I think we talked about this last week, Arizona going to this season had one distinct advantage, we thought, over every other team they're going to play, and that was Khalil Tate, because of all the many things he could do. And Rhett Rodriguez, with, without Khalil Tate under center, whether it's Rhett Rodriguez, Jamari Joyner, Doyle, whoever it is, if they're not Khalil Tate, a healthy Khalil Tate, Arizona's limited that much more, and that advantage is just gone. So I think for what Arizona could do with the players they had, they played fine enough, but they shot themselves in the foot a couple too many times, and that's why they lost this game by a point. And it's frustrating because that probably gave away any chance Arizona had going to a bowl game this season. Yeah, They couldn't afford to lose this one, you'd think, and make it to a bowl game. But they made it competitive. It was entertaining. They had to lead a couple times in the second half and also into the fourth quarter. And they just didn't have enough because they shot themselves in the foot too often. Yep, so this marks the third loss this season of five points or fewer. So it, it, it's just been this type of season. You know, unfortunately, uh, it's just been nail biters and uh 
at the end disappointment. So it, it's, it's been pretty tough. You know, I'm thankful, obviously, for the Cal game. That, that was one uh, another one possession game that, that swung in our favor. So in one possession games, you know, one one in three. I mean, I guess you know, it could, could be worse. You could be oh and four. But uh, it, it, it's a bit disappointing in those, you know, those one possession games. You know, there, there's the old saying that good teams win close games and uh, being one in three in uh, one score games is not is, it's not necessarily a good look. But I mean, there's something to build on. It is still well, you remember it is still a young team. You remember the 2014 season when Arizona won the Pac-12 South, how many close games they won that year. Right. You know, some mm-hmm. of the more miracle finishes. I mean, there was. The Washington game, for instance, I can think of. There was the Cal game that year. You know, you yep. have to make those plays, and sometimes it's luck. Sometimes, I mean, it's you put what people say, like, you make your own luck, you create your own luck. I mean, it's football. The ball bounces your way sometimes. You know, a kick hits the upright and goes in, as opposed to bouncing off, or, you know, the interception is dropped, or the guy comes down the way. It's, all these things could happen, and, you know, Arizona was terrible against Utah. That was just as bad a football game, and they were terrible against Houston. Other than that, mm-hmm. they've been competitive or victorious in every single game they've played. And that's not to give them credit and say, oh, you only lost to USC at home by four. Or you only lost to UCLA by one. I mean, these are games that you should have won. If you're a good team, you win those games. And clearly, yeah. Arizona's not as good as we thought they were. But every one of those losses, I mean, Utah, again, just outclassed. Houston outclassed. The other ones, you can point to a couple of things, very direct, easy things as to why they lost that football game. You know, and against UCLA, it was turnovers. You know, BYU is probably the offensive play calling and Khalil Tate not running the ball enough. Like, these are things you can point to. It doesn't make it any easier, but I don't think Arizona, like, they're a 3-5 and five team for a reason, but I don't think this is one of the least talented Arizona teams. And I also don't know if the coaching has really been an issue like a lot of people want to point to these days. I just think Arizona has done just enough to lose some of these football games. And that's what happens when you're not a very good team, or at least when you don't have a Khalil Tate to bail you out like they did last season. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And 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 the more that this season, you know, we as, as we inch closer to the finish line, which is likely to be a bullish season, you know, of, of the 12 games, here we are now sitting at three and five. Right, uh, we are eight games through the 12 game season. It, it it is starting to paint a little bit more of a picture that you know. The coaching staff, I, I really don't believe, is the issue. You know, I, I think that you know early on, obviously, Noel Mazzoni, to your point, I, there, there was an issue there in that BYU game, and then Quill Tate gets hurt, and that you know all bets are off at that point. But but I think that Noel Mazzoni has done a good job in in, in scheming things that you know play to Quill Tate's strength, even though he's unable to run in these type of situations. You know, like we've saw over the last couple of weeks, he he did a great job of tailoring a game plan to Rhett Rod. Right? I mean, he did a great job. Of yeah, setting him up for success, especially. Yeah, they did a great job with that defensively. Marcel Yates, you know, uh, after that Houston game, I, 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 I was personally ready. I, I think you could probably go back to to that <laughs> recording that week of me saying, I, I, "Let's just get it over with. Like, let's just get him out of here." Really, from that point forward, I mean, he he has done a good job. And I mean, even in this even in this game here where they allowed thirty one points, you know, the defense was 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 good at times but in key moments when we really need those stops again it just didn't happen but kind of staying staying on point here uh you know it it really doesn't feel to be the coaching staff's fault key injury to quill tape i mean the the first down they made when quarterback ran he pulled it in from the option and he actually kept the ball which he hadn't done all game like that's just a great play you know when spate did that like sometimes that happens and you'd like to think whether it was it cooper i think was a linebacker who dove in on the play and you're like you'd like to think oh if you would have just stayed home on that one spate's not running for six yards or whatever it was that he ran for on that first down and maybe that was the first first down they got or the first third down that they converted ucla but no you'd like to not give up 31 points to ucla and you could argue that marcellus hasn't done a great job since he's not the new coach but at the same mm-hmm. time like, I don't blame the defense for the loss against UCLA outside of the Manatee. You just could have got a stop on that last drive and given the offense one more chance. You know, yep. but the, And that was the case. So that was the case against BYU. You know, if Arizona could have just got the ball back, who knows what would have happened in that game. But, no, I, this is just a season where I think we were spoiled last season with Khalil Tate being so good. He covered up a lot of flaws because he went on that stretch where he was just the best player in college football for four mm-hmm. weeks and they got their wins and it's like wow you have that guy he can make everything look so much easier they haven't had that guy this season and Arizona's looked like the team they really were which is just competitive but just missing that extra little bit to win these football games yeah not quite there and you know Adam that's probably a good segue so let's go ahead now shift our focus to Khalil Tate uh and and for our listeners for more of a detailed breakdown of course go, go back and listen to uh early week 
uh, or, or earlier this week, Bryant and the guys uh, re- really dove into uh, the UCLA game. So uh, for more details, be sure to download that, listen to that one. But Adam, let, let's go ahead and move forward here and shift our focus on Cleo Tate. So uh, at this point, you know, we are recording this on Tuesday, October 23rd. There has been no announcement, really. Uh, there, there, there's really been no t- nothing at all from the coaching staff. Uh, Kevin Sumlin has said nothing to this point about if Quill Tate will be available this upcoming weekend against Oregon for homecoming. You know, I, I guess is, is, is the silence encouraging or, or is, or is this maybe just a little ploy to get in Oregon's head and make them waste time on preparing for both quarterbacks? That's a really good question because I think last week they made the announcement pretty quickly or pretty earlier in the week that it was going to be Rhett Rodriguez and depending on how badly Tate's ankle was sprained against Utah, I guess it's, he basically had a bye week. So yeah. you'd like to think of resting it and getting the medical treatment that with a week off, he could be back to where he was maybe against Cal or against Oregon State. You know, maybe not 100 percent, but 85 to 90 to where you feel like he can play again. Um, but at the same time, I, if the, I don't think Arizona beats Oregon anyway, but they certainly don't beat him, beat Oregon without Khalil Tate. Right. I think we can safely say that, even though they did beat them once with B.J. Danker, so who am I to say that you need <laughs> a great quarterback to beat Oregon? But no, I would think the longer this wait, the longer this wait goes, and by the time we post this, maybe the announcement will be made, so this this topic is moot. But I would think the longer it goes on, the better the chance of Tate being the guy is, because you're just saying, okay, he just needs one more day. Like we're just trying to make sure with one more day he'll be good to go, where he can test that or something. Whereas if you knew that it was still so swollen, he couldn't walk right now, it'd be an easy decision to make. So. I would think that they want him back on the field, and if he's healthy, if his ankle is back to where it needs to be, to where he can play, then he will be back on the field. But I guess, if nothing else, the way Rhett Rodriguez played against UCLA gives you some confidence that if it's not Kilo Tate, he won't embarrass himself out there. Then again, Oregon is not UCLA. No, no, it's two different beasts. Now, it definitely helps that it's going to be at home, right? And as you said, I mean, Cleo Tate basically had a bye week just now. And and also, too, you know, when that injury, when the reaggravation happened against Utah, uh, you know, that, that happened early on in the game and, and he did not come back out. And I was sure he was probably, or I don't want to say probably he was testing it on the sideline. You know, he was still walking around. It looked like he was maybe jogging a little bit on the sideline, just testing it out. Um, but I mean, overall it, it was not game stress. So really, you know, if you go back to, I mean, now, you know, two Fridays ago, you know, he, he's really been somewhat nursing that thing. So hopefully by the time, Hopefully by the time Saturday rolls around, you know, he would have been off that for a clean two weeks. You got to imagine, though, he's going to need some kind of practice reps, though, too, sure. this week. Right. I mean, you can't just plug him back in and expect him to be, uh, you know, I guess 100 percent competent, uh, it, even though, I mean, let's say that he's 70 percent. What what percentage health do you want out of him when you feel comfortable plugging him in? I guess to me, knowing that a bowl game is probably off the table. And I imagine with that as the backdrop, most of us probably have the same going to just beat ASU to end the season. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. part of you would say, don't put Tate back out there until he's 100% and the ankle is absolutely healed. Mm-hmm. At the same time, with a sprained ankle like that, and they do have a bye week at some point this season. Yep. You know, it's coming up in a few weeks. So, I mean, do you sit him against Oregon and sit him against Colorado? And then, I mean, then he's taking basically like a month off before Washington State and ASU. I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is because it's a sprained ankle. You know, maybe yeah. it's a severely sprained ankle, but it's a sprained ankle. So to me, I guess if he's the level he was before he hurt himself at Utah, then he should be out there because he was good enough to play then. He should be good enough to play now. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of chalking up Oregon a loss either way, maybe even Colorado. And if you keep doing that, if you say, well, they're not going to beat Oregon, they're not going to beat Colorado, they're not going to win at Washington State. No, I'll just sit him until the ASU game like that doesn't make any sense either. So, yeah. you know, I mean, when he's ready to play, he should be out there. He gives you your best chance to win. But in terms of the ankle, I don't know, I guess. I mean, we'd have, we're not coaches. We're not medical guys. We don't know how his ankle is. But I would say if it's at the level it was before he hurt himself against Utah, then if he was good enough to play then, he should be good enough to play now. That's fair, and, and I'm 100% with you on that. Uh, you know, I, I guess I, I really hate to throw away games just because crazy things happen when Oregon comes to Tucson, and I guess, you know, crazy things happen anyway when we play mm-hmm. Oregon. So, you know, I, I really hate to, you know, you, you look at this, and on paper, it's, it should be a bloodbath, right? I mean, we, we stand no chance, but uh, that is not 
that is not always the case. I mean, this is usually a very competitive game. And, you know, a Coyle Tate added the health where, as you said, you know, coming out of that Cal game where, you know, we saw glimpses of him being able to kind of grit through it a little bit and pick up some key first downs with his feet. Uh, he was able to obviously air it out. You know, that Utah game, if he's able to get to back to that point at the Utah game, then I think he's he's got to go. I, I, and I you think owe he's it to your go. team to give them together the best chance to win. I mean, people like yeah. us say, no, rest them for ASU. That's the only game that matters. Or no. They're not going to a bowl game. And in reality, I mean, they still could be bowl eligible, right? I mean, they need to win yes. a few more games. But, you know, so for the seniors on that team, for a lot of these players, like, you need to give them the best chance to win. And I would imagine that means Khalil Tate is your quarterback. And if he's healthy enough to be that guy, then he should be out there. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think it'd be fair to the players on the team, to the fans, to not give yourself the best chance to win, especially when I was talking to a friend. It's like, it's not like Rhett Rodriguez is the quarterback of the future of this team. It's not like you put him out there to see, oh, let's let Rhett Rodriguez build on this for maybe going to next season, right? Like, that's probably not going to be the guy for them next year. So unless it was like Joyner or Doyle, someone who could maybe be the guy next season, then to me, there's no sense in even thinking about next year. It's still all about this year and winning as many games as you can. And who knows? I mean, if Tate comes back and they beat Oregon all of a sudden, now you're like, well, now they just need to win, you know, one of Colorado and Washington State yeah. and then ASU. So, yeah, you know, it's they're not mathematically eliminated from bowl eligibility. And there's enough players on the team who deserve a chance to go out with a few more wins under their belts. So, yeah, I guess it just depends on how healthy he is. But if he's where he was two weeks ago, then I think he should be out there. And I imagine he would be out there. I'm with you. So that's certainly something to keep an eye on. And and also, you know, you mentioned it. I'll, I'll just reiterate by the time this post, it very well may have been announced. You know, it, uh, his availability may have been announced. And if that's for the Saturday, case, so. we don't blame if you skip over that part of the show. Yeah. yeah it's save. a podcast. You can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Sa- save yourself. Well, by the time sa- you hear save that, yourself a couple minutes. I guess you'd already listened to the whole thing anyway. So I, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. So thank you. Yeah. So thank you. We appreciate it, listeners. All right, Adam, so let's go ahead and shift gears then and take a look at uh, UCLA. But before we do, let's take a quick break here to talk about a couple of our sponsors. So uh, for, for all of our Wildcat listener, Wildcat radio listeners, excuse me, we picked up a couple sponsors and we will be plugging them over the next few weeks. Uh, first of all, Sling TV. For, for everyone that is not familiar with Sling TV, uh, you know, cutting the cord is, is obviously uh, that that is a very millennial thing. Cutting the cord. Who has who has cable boxes these days, right? Who, who who has Direct TV? Actually, I know a lot more people with Direct TV um, than, than Cox Cable. My parents have Cox Cable, of course, but a little bit older, older generation, maybe if you will. Uh, but Sling TV, great streaming device to watch all of your favorite shows, uh, movies. You can get HBO on that. But most importantly, for all for all of you Direct TV owners, for all of you Direct TV subscribers. The Pac-12 network has not been available to you throughout the life of that contract. It can be available to you through Sling TV. Be sure to check out WildcatRadioAZ.com at the top of the page. Click on the Sling TV ad. There is a seven-day free trial. Uh, definitely, definitely check that out. Worth the seven-day trial. It helps out Wildcat Radio. Please go on there. We'll have a more formal plug for this in the weeks to come bright's still working that one out on the sling tv side uh but adam one more here and this definitely ties into uh, the run the gauntlet uh where i am just getting beaten silly uh against <laughs> the spread but everybody else is doing well and this one's going to be for my bookie sure watching football is fun but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games guys you've heard me talking about this for weeks and some of you are still on the sidelines this is the first time i'm plugging it so this is obviously just the script but whether whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win. If you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on. Playoff basketball, baseball, hockey, primetime fights, and more. But my bookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys because I really trust them. My bookie has been in the business for years. They've got great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. My bookie is offering a 100% bonus for the last time this year. Again, that is a 100% bonus for the last time this year. That's right. Have you been thinking about placing a pick all season, but you haven't manned up yet? Well, it's time to make your move. After Sunday's kickoff, you can kiss that bonus goodbye. Also, make sure that make sure to follow. My bookie on Twitter and Instagram at my bookie. 
they personally respond to every mention and direct message, not to mention that they've given away nearly $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. Log on to my bookie right now. Don't miss out on your last opportunity to collect the industry's biggest bonus. Use promo code WILDCAT. Again, WILDCAT is the promo code. You will get your first deposit matched 100%. You play, you win, you get paid. Again, WILDCAT is the promo code. MyBookie.com. All right, Adam. So let's go ahead and that was a lot. That's it. That, that's a lot. They're, they're not messing around when they plug that in, you know. And actually, you know what? Actually, I said mybookie.com. I actually think it's mybookie.ag. You know what? Don't plug in mybookie.com. <laughs> plug in mybookie.ag. If that doesn't work, just Google mybookie. How about that? Sorry, mybookie, if you're listening to this. I botched it, but they get the point. They will check out your website and take advantage of that 100% bonus. So I think Ryan's uh, going to place some bets now, too, and they'll make some money off of you, probably. They're, they're, they're going to make some money. They're, they're going to make some money. But so. other people will win money. <laughs> That's right, guys. You got to check it out, right? You, you play, you win, you get paid. Simple as that, right? Sounds like but a plan also, to me. It works the other way too, guys. So just remember that. Be responsible out there. But yes, go check it out. Mybookie.ag. If not, just Google it. You'll find it. Moving on. Adam, Oregon, coming to town. Homecoming down in Tucson. Are you going to make it down for the game, by the way? Uh, at this point in time, I don't have any plans to, but that could always okay. change. Yeah, you know, we were thinking about it. I know, obviously, you know, homecoming is always quite the spectacle down in uh, down down at the University of Arizona. We haven't been down there in a while, and this year, my wife has a big work event this weekend, so we're not going to be able to make it down. So, unfortunately, we will not be there, but hopefully next year. But um, I guess you know, focusing on this matchup, Oregon is of course coming off a pretty interesting game to say the least up in Pullman. Did you get a chance to watch any of this, Adam? Uh, no, I was keeping an eye on the scores because that's the one that's one of the ones I missed in a pool. I I was in, but yeah. I didn't get a chance to watch any of this game now. Yeah, so this one, uh, obviously, that, that's where game day was this week, or this past week, rather. Uh, Oregon traveled to Pullman to take on the Washington State Cougars, ended up losing that game 34-20, and they were actually, uh, the Ducks were shut out in the first half. That was the first time this year they were shut out in the first half. Yeah, so They're getting boat uh, raced. Yeah, it, it really makes me concerned because, you know, I, I never look forward to this is kind of off topic. I never look forward to going up and playing at Pullman just because, no you know, up, it, especially late in the season. It's a bit scary, but, uh, you know, just with the weather and especially, you know, with Mike Leach and, and just the air raid they run. It, it's just not a good look. But I think Washington State's for real. I, I actually going back to the mega podcast, Adam, I, I'm pretty sure I took them under three wins. So uh, that was that over. sounds right for you. Yeah, I don't remember right. where I had them, but I, I believe that you had them for under three wins. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's the microcosm brand. right there. That, that's everything <laughs> in a nutshell for me this season. I might that have been like, with you, too, though. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, that, that was another big miss by me. So I apologize for anybody that went to my bookie and trusted my advice on any of this. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess maybe, maybe maybe go back, set up another account, get 100 percent bonus. Um, that one's on me. Bonus on me, guys. Uh, but yeah, of course. So new, new, new season, new head coach Willie Taggart lasted one year. We know plenty about him going on to Florida State. Mario Cristobal comes in and has done a very good job. So I mean, you know, looking at at, at all of their games up to this point, they are five and two. Uh, their two losses, one of course just coming this past week up in Pullman. The other one against Stanford. Did you get a chance to watch that Stanford game? I Oregon know State? that Oregon was better. And I know there was some questionable officiating in that game that led to the help to lead their collapse. But no, I didn't get to watch much of that game either. Yeah, no, they they definitely blew that game. They uh, they they being the Oregon Ducks blew that game and they could very easily be sitting at six and one on the season. Uh, And, you know, they, they played a very hard fought game against Washington, pulled that one out. Good deal there. You know, they're they're a legit team. Justin Herbert is certainly living up to all the preseason hype uh, of, you know, potential All-American, potential number one quarterback coming off coming off the board uh, in May for the NFL draft. I guess, you know, overall, it it just kind of feels like a very interesting combination here. And and I I wish I could remember who said it, it, it was on the Ryan Rosillo dual threat podcast. He had somebody I don't think it was Chad Ford. I don't remember who he had on, but but they were they were talking about the job that Mario Cristobal has done with Oregon. And this is a, a great synopsis of just uh, of, of the roster construct at this point. So, you know, Willie Taggart had done a very good job of recruiting 
you, you, really more of those, you know, kind of smaller athletic, you know, quicker guys. Mm-hmm. Mario Cristobal just innately because he was an offensive lineman at the University of Miami. You know, he, he understands the importance of having those bigger trench guys. Well, this year, with all the carryover from Willie Taggart's roster last year and then what Mario Cristobal was able to do in the offseason, there's this kind of this perfect storm of super quick, athletic, smaller guys and just some beasts up front. And this, I think, is going to probably prove true against us, too. I mean, you know, obviously over the years, you know, it was a, three years ago, our, our, our biggest defensive lineman was something like well, like six, three, like 280, 270, you know, something like so, something not, mm-hmm. not, not, not your stereotypical size for a defensive lineman. We've obviously beefed up the, the, with the defensive line now a little bit over the years, but I mean, Oregon's coming into this game where, you know, yes, they have Justin Herbert. Uh, yes, yes. They have Dylan Mitchell on the outside, uh, as, as their leading receiver. Yes. They have CJ Verdell. Um, you know, they, they have these skill position players along with an NFL style quarterback, but the, the the biggest thing is, is this offensive line and their defensive line. They just get those pushes. I'm I'm really concerned about this because I'm not, I'm not I'm not so sure how this is going to end up for us. No, it doesn't. On paper, it's not going to end well at all, no matter who the quarterback is. But yeah, you know, it's almost like that's the type of team that Arizona was trying to build, where you get all those fast, skilled guys, which is great in that offense. But you need the beef up front. And Arizona never was able to get that. And they're paying for that even this season with a rough offensive line and a defensive line that's been hanging in there, but not really an impact defensive line. But I think this is kind of like the blueprint for what Arizona was trying to do. But no, it's on paper. This is not a great matchup for Arizona. There's a reason what's the line at right now. Is it like 11, 12 or something like that? Was it nine? Like, I know it's not. I think it opened at nine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it'll, you know, change depending on what the quarterback situation is for Arizona. But no, like on paper, I mean, Oregon's a very good football team. I mean, they're ranked. <laughs> like they're they're yep. good. You know, and Arizona has not been. And if you want to say Arizona's going to be at home and it's homecoming and that can make a difference, then sure. I mean, there's, there's obviously a way Arizona wins this game. I was watching on Pac-12 Network earlier. They did their, you know, great classic games in 16. It was when Arizona beat Oregon with B.J. Danker at quarterback. I think that was, what, 2013 mm-hmm. or something like that. And it's That like, sounds right, yeah. And there was no reason why Arizona should have won that game, and yet... They made Marcus Mariota look very bad. B.J. Danker looked like a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback, and Arizona won that game easily. So these things can happen, but for Arizona to win against Oregon, it's going to take that type of night. It's going to take that type of game where just everything goes right for Arizona, who plays a clean game, get a few turnovers themselves, some easy scores, and find a way to make Oregon look like a team that isn't Oregon, which people would think was maybe a better chance of happening if they hadn't lost last week, Oregon. Mm -hmm. like You'd think they're going to come out pretty focused in this one, but... No, it's def- on paper, this does not look like a good matchup for Arizona because this Oregon's a better football team. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go through what, what the expected depth chart would be for the offensive line, right? So we're going to work our way from left tackle to right tackle. 6'6", 345, 6'4", 317, 6'5", 297, 6'2", 328, 6'5", 318. So, you know, I guess as, as you work your way towards the right side of the line, you know, and you start there with Jake Hansen, who, by the way, could end up being an All-American at center. He, he's fantastic. Earned uh, Pac-12 honors last year. Uh, J- J- Jake Hansen is going, he, he's definitely playing at the next level. So don't let the 6'5", 297 frame, you know, you expect maybe a little bit thicker, but I mean, you were still talking about 6'5", 300. I mean, this guy's a beast. Um, then flipping over to the defensive side, right? They, they run a 3-4, um, but you, you still got some kind of crazy size there. I mean, there are two nose guards. There will be a rotation of Jordan Scott and Popo uh, Muve. Sorry, Popo, didn't mean to do that to you, but 361, 329, 63, 303, right? I mean, you just got that beef in the middle, which is exactly what you need in a 3 4 set. Uh, Defensive end uh, on each side, 63, 285. That's, I mean, as a defensive end, you would expect that guy. He's not. Yes, he, he's very athletic, you would imagine, as a defensive end being able to contain. Uh, but th- th- there's some crazy size there. This is a little bit more in our realm, I would say. Uh, Jalen Jelks, 6'6", 245. You know, that, that kind of reminds me of a little bit of a, uh, oh, let's say, who, who could we say? Maybe not. I mean, Kylan Wilborn's probably a little bit, uh, he's a little bit beefier than that. I feel like not as lengthy, but may, may, maybe like a Jalen Harris, you know, so that kind of reminds me, I guess, a little bit of a Jalen Harris in terms of just the stature there. But um, yeah, no, uh, overall, I think our defensive line is going to have a, a very solid 
test against this very stout, very stout offensive line. Yeah, Defensively, that's how it works though. I mean, there's reason mm-hmm. why Herbert's been so good at offensive line play. It's I think we kind of underrated that with Khalil Tate this year too. Arizona's offensive line was good last season. And this season, it was very questionable going into things. Whereas over at Oregon, you have a good, experienced offensive line, and they're playing like it. And it makes a quarterback look that much better when they have time to throw. I mean, that's not breaking any ground here or anything, but that's just how it works. And that's what makes Oregon as good as they are, is that offensive line being as good as it is. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. So we will... Uh... Keep an eye on that matchup. You know, the, as, as I mentioned, uh, Arizona's defensive line has done a much better job recruiting, sticking guys in there with, with a bit more size, but also the physicality of it. You know, you, you've really seen over the last few weeks, you know, uh, the, the, the J.B. Browns, the P.J. Johnsons, the, the Derek Bowles. Derek Bowles had, had a very big sack strip this past weekend uh, that, you know, if, if we would have won that game, you could have pointed back to that one play mm-hmm. that really tipped the scale for us. But, uh, you know, regardless of the outcome of that game, there, there has been some solid production on the defensive line front. Uh, so they, they'll, they'll be tested. Uh, the good news is they'll be at home. One other thing to mention here on the Oregon skill position front, Brendan Schooler, brother of Colin Schooler. So this will be the second Schooler Bowl last year, of course, Oregon, Oregon got Oregon got the best of Arizona uh, up in Eugene. Forty eight, twenty eight was the final there. Uh, but, uh, you know, Brendan Schooler, he's kind of a two way player game to Oregon as a uh, as a DB. I believe it was originally as a safety. Then they converted him to wide receiver. And, you know, he actually had the longest play. Uh, longest play from scrimmage for the Ducks last week up in Pullman. He had a 28-yard reception. Uh, but, you know, outside of that, like I said, C.J. Verdell, you, and, and anytime you think of Oregon, you just think of really, really dynamic running backs. You know, with the, the DeAnthony Thomases, uh, you know, Kenyon Barner, who, who's on the Patriots right now and may see some, some substantial time as uh, Sonny Michelle went down, but staying on focus here with uh, Oregon, uh, CJ Verdell and Dylan Mitchell seem to be the, the two biggest guys uh, that have really produced for Oregon's offense so far this year. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, they're not the Oregon offense that we're used to seeing from back in the day, the super speed offense with this great, great running game, but they've been productive, plenty productive enough to go on with a pretty good defense. And, you know, I don't, because I mean, Herbert isn't Marcus Mariota, right? Like, he looks like he's going to be an NFL guy, maybe one of the top picks in the draft if he comes out. But he's not, I don't think he's putting quite the season that Mariota had put together when we were used to that. And obviously there's no, like, Royce Freeman in this team. But it's a good offense with plenty of weapons still. And Arizona's defense, as solid as they've been at times, they still gave 31 points to UCLA last week. So, you know, right. I don't look at this and say, I mean, I, it's going to take turnovers from this defense. And it's possible. We've seen that happen, but no, I just like in any way imaginable, this looks like that type of matchup where, I mean, a guy like Herbert with the time he's going to have to throw, likely the time he's going to have to throw could pick Arizona's secondary apart, especially if they're banged up like they were last week. But no, I mean, it's a good Oregon team, not the best that we're used to seeing, but it's good enough. You know, Verdell's been Mm -hmm. good out of the backfield for them. Not great, but good. So I don't know if there's the one guy you say they have, you have to stop on this team, but that's, I think, part of what makes them so dangerous is that there isn't one guy, if you say you shut him down, then you're going to have, outside maybe Herbert. You know, if you can make him right. have a bad yeah. game, then you beat them or you have a chance to beat them. But outside of that, they're skilled guys. They spread it around really, really well in the passing game especially. So I don't know how Arizona necessarily defends that, especially because Arizona's defense, which has had guys, I mean, Brown's been playing better, Jalen Harris has been making plays, and talked about Bulls got that fumble cover against UCLA. Like, there's guys who have made plays, but there's no Scooby Wright that just destroys an offensive game plan on this team. As great as Colin Schooler has been, he's not that level. And Arizona, to beat a team like Oregon, to make Herbert look bad, will need someone to step up and just be a monster in this game. Uh, a couple other names to mention here in the backfield for Oregon. So really uh, the guy coming into the season, uh, Tony Brooks, James was nabbed the, the, the starter early on, but uh, with, with the nagging ankle injury, we know how that goes. Uh, he, he, he's been limited over the last few games. He did see action last week. CJ Verdell got a little banged up last week too, but he claims he's ready to go. Travis die is, is another running back. So as, as you, you you'll see a table of running backs likely a, a healthy rotation of uh, some pretty some pretty versatile running backs but um I, I guess i mean i you know i didn't get a chance to watch any of the oregon washington state game uh you you, you gotta figure though just just the lack of offensive production 
they were really putting the pressure on Justin Herbert. And if there's something we could do to dial up some blitzes, follow that same suit, uh, you know, that that's, I, I did watch the Washington state USC game earlier in the year, and they did a tremendous job blitzing USC that game too. So I'm assuming it was a very similar strategy. And uh, you know, if we can get something, maybe, maybe dial in a little bit of the Washington state uh, Cougar scheme there on defense, Maybe just maybe we'll we'll be able to contain Justin Herbert a little bit in that passing game. Yeah, getting up to a twenty-seven point lead at halftime would help too. That would be huge. <laughs> it turns over yeah. into a different type of team because I mean they're a lot like Arizona State. Like you want to run the ball. That's your preference. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a quarterback as good as Herbert, you want to run the ball. When when you make them one-dimensional, he threw forty-four passes against Washington State. You know that's not their mm-hmm. game. That's not Oregon's game. Even with it not being a Chip Kelly or you know that type of offense, it's still a team that wants to run the ball. And they just got taken. They, had that part of their game taken away by Washington State. So, you know, there are ways for Arizona to win this game, but it's mostly turnovers. Getting turnovers and playing a clean game themselves and making a stop here and there, just finding a way to make that play. And it's it sounds like such basic football type of stuff, but that's how this is because Oregon's a better team than Arizona. Sure. You know, last week, I think Arizona was a better team than UCLA, but for UCLA to win that game, they had to play a mostly clean game or win the turnover battles and make a couple of plays like they did. Now, it's mm-hmm. going to be reversed. Arizona's a team that's not as good, but only the talent gap, I think, is greater between Arizona and Oregon and then Arizona and UCLA, at least as it was last week. So Arizona's going to play a really good game, a really, really good football game. And I don't think the Wildcats are as bad as people will think they are, probably, especially if mm-hmm. Tate's healthy. This Arizona team is decent. I mean, like I said, mm-hmm. three of their losses were by five points or less. You know, it doesn't mean they shouldn't have won those games. They found ways to lose them. But this is a team that is capable of playing good football, Arizona, I'm talking about. They're capable of making big plays. They're capable of getting those stops. They're just going to do it quite a bit against Oregon because Oregon is a very good football team. But, you know, you should have a good crowd down there in Tucson on Saturday, a fired-up crowd. And if you can get off to a fast start or at least make it look like, hey, you're going to make this a game and keep those fans in it, then I think you might have something. But the Wildcats have gone off to too many slow starts this season. They did against UCLA as well, where they're kind of having to claw back. And I don't know if they have the horses to claw back against a team like Oregon, even though this isn't the best Oregon team we've seen come to Tucson. That's a really good point, and, and also a, a, a good one for transition to the defensive side of the ball for Oregon. So let's let's just focus on. I mean, their 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 non conference schedule was an absolute joke. Uh, they, they played Bowling Green. Portland State, San Jose State. Okay, um, Bowling Green scored twenty-four points on them. Portland State fourteen, San Jose State twenty-two points. Okay, so but when, when when you actually get to conference play, you can move the ball in this Oregon team. So I mean, I I'm, I I, I want to be clear here that I'm not their offense scares me just because of, we know what Justin Herbert's capable of. Justin Herbert is an NFL quarterback, so that's not that's never easy to defend. Their skill position players kind of, I feel like, leave a little bit to be desired, but I'm certainly in no position to knock them, just given how the, how Arizona's defense has performed you know, at times throughout the season. There have been key moments, and they've come up with big stops at times, but overall, they've really struggled. Let's just focus now on the conference play for Oregon, right? So they gave up 38 points in overtime to Stanford. Now, we know that they kind of choked, they being Oregon, kind of choked away that game. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, they gave up 38 points. Cal, they gave up 24 points, gave up 27 points to Washington. You know, Washington is in overtime. Yeah, in overtime. Washington's Washington, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to knock them for giving up 27 points. You know, Washington, it, everyone knows my opinion on, on Jake Browning. But I mean, Jake Browning, you know, he, he has his ups and downs overall. In my opinion, it's a lot more downs than ups, but, you know, whatever. They, they still have a solid offensive line and a great running game. So you can live with it. Um, Washington State, though, right? They gave up the 34 points air raid. So this is kind of where they're, they're, I think there's a lot that you can draw from from that Washington State game uh, defensively for Arizona, but then also offensively. Right. And this is where I think it's going to be key if, if Cleo Tate can play in this game. Quill Tate, we know he's he's the best quarterback, obviously, on the team, but not, not not only because of his ability to run, but we know he just, we've talked about the arm strength of Rhett Rod or the lack thereof at times, right? There are some key routes that we saw last week with Rhett Rod where he was very precise. Like, it, it was it was good to see, especially, especially you know, the, those slant routes over the middle. Like, he did a good job with those. But some of those, you know, just swing passes, uh, you know, the, the deep balls, it just wasn't left a little bit desired there. Mm-hmm. Khalil Tate is a much better passer. He will deliver on those plays. If there's a way that we can speed up the tempo here, kind of keep Oregon on their heels, 
get off to the fast start, like you said. I mean, Adam, it, it's not nuts. I mean, honestly, this is going to come down to the defense and being able to stop Justin Herbert. Which is why I don't feel that great about this game. <laughs> you know, but sure. no, that, that's what it is. I mean, oh, this isn't the best Oregon defense, but they've been solid. And there's a reason why their record is where it is. You know, they're scoring news. They're giving up 26 points a game. Arizona's giving up 29 this season. So it's not a huge difference. Just Oregon happens to be scoring about 40 points a game, whereas Arizona's at 28. So... No, Oregon's a decent defensive team, not a great defensive team, but they've been an elite offense, and I don't know if Arizona's defense can stop their offense, and I'm not sure if Arizona's offense, depending on who the quarterback is, of course, will be able to keep up with mm-hmm. Oregon at the same time. But, no, I mean, I, we've seen better Oregon teams lose to worse Arizona teams, I think. Yep. You know, in Tucson. So I'm not – but I'm not going to pick Arizona in this game. No way. No. But I would have mm-hmm. – I mean, I did think they were going to beat UCLA last week. That because I thought you said it was just so bad, and they were just Arizona happened to be worse that night. So, no, I mean, Arizona has to play a clean game. There's no way Arizona wins this game while losing the turnover battle. I think that should be obvious. And in fact, Arizona probably has to be like plus two or three, I would think, to win this game in the turnover battle. But short of that, I just don't know if Arizona has the horses to keep up with Oregon because, again, not the best Oregon team that we've seen to come to Tucson, but it's a very good, very solid Oregon team led by a very good quarterback. So, you know, if Khalil Tate comes back and he's healthy, he looks like Khalil Tate that we expected to see this season. Like, he's totally healthy. They got the running in there, and he's doing it. Then, yeah, Arizona could win this game. But I think short of all those things happening, and that's a lot of things that, in my mind, a lot of dominoes that have to fall for the Wildcats to win. Short of that happening, I just don't think the Cats win this one. It doesn't mean they won't hang in there. It doesn't mean they won't make it competitive. But I just don't see them coming out on top unless, you know, A, B, C, D, and E come through for them. Right, right. Uh couple so defenders to I'm keep sorry. an eye on. No, I mean, it, it's realistic, right? I mean, there's a difference between realistic and pessimistic. And unfortunately, I think in this case, it's just realistic. I mean, uh, they let's just stick to the script that stranger things have happened in this matchup in Tucson, right? I mean, we, we, I, I think we can hang our hat on that. Would I be shocked if they beat Oregon? No, I would not be shocked. But, I, would um, be. I, I don't I, I don't expect it to happen, right? I, I don't I, I certainly don't expect it to happen. So. A uh, couple just defensive names to, to, to keep an eye on uh, linebackers, Troy Dye and James Holland, uh, Hollins, excuse me. Uh, th- those linebackers, fantastic. Thomas Graham Jr. One of, one of the better cover corners in, in the conference for sure. Former Sophomore, Arizona and then, I remember people thought he might end up in Tucson. Yeah, there's a lot of former Arizona recruits and commitments, uh, excuse me, commits on this Oregon roster. Thank you, Willie Taggart. And, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) whatever. So that'll actually be maybe maybe a little extra fuel on the fire this this upcoming weekend. Hopefully we want to stick it to some of those guys. Braxton Burmeister. I would love for him to get in the game and that we can get after him a little bit. But (laughs) uh, but yeah, so, you know, obviously they have the playmakers. Um, Hugo Amadi as well, one of the better safeties in in the Pac-12. Uh, he, he, he's a little bit of everything, you know. He 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 play the pass, uh, get up on the line of scrimmage, tackle for loss, the whole bit. I mean, I, I would expect to see him playing on Sundays next year as well. So, um, plenty of talent really across the board for this Oregon team. And Mario Cristobal once again has just done a tremendous job with this squad. So, um. Adam, I know you're not taking them straight up because you would be nuts to do so. But uh, let's say that, let's say this line jumps to about 11 or so. Would you be comfortable taking 11 points at home and asking U of A to cover that? I would say, I mean, if Khalil Tate was playing, yes. But I don't think it goes sure. up that high if Khalil Tate's playing either. That's kind of the, the balancing act that I feel like we're going to face here. But, no, I mean, I, I mean, to be fair, I guess Arizona's been close in most of their losses. And yeah. Especially at mm-hmm. home. I mean, their two blowouts were on the road. So, I guess it's not unreasonable to think that they'll be in this football game no matter what. And I tend to think the Cats will be competitive, but I just don't know if, but you know, if it's a 10-point game for most of the way, if it doesn't become a 17- or 24-point game in the fourth quarter after a turnover or two, they're just trying to claw their way back into it. But, you know, you hope it's competitive, if nothing else, for homecoming, for people who are down there at that game. And, you know, again, I don't think Arizona's as bad as people probably think they are right now. I really don't, and they're not as good as we thought they'd be, and I think that's part of it. Just the difference in what we expected of them and what they are is so great in the wrong direction. But I think this is a decent Arizona team that's fairly well coached, and if they get their quarterback back, then anything's possible. But without Khalil Tate, I don't think 11 points is enough. Um, And even with Mm -hmm. Khalil Tate, I'm not so sure that 11 points is enough. 
Well, this is where I claw my way back in. From now on, I'm waiting for everybody else in the gauntlet run to put in their picks, and I am <laughs> taking the opposite of what the majority says. So it worked out well uh, for that's you so far. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's exactly what I've been doing so far, and it hasn't worked out. But I feel like the tide's going to change. Uh, well, Eleven I had a points question for you, real quick, too. Which, yeah, talk about where Oregon's at, how good of a job that Cristobal has done, and yet. Right now, they're probably on the outside of the playoff picture looking in. And what, Washington State's the only team that the Pac-12 could maybe try to send to the college football playoff? Like, what do you think of the Pac-12 just cannibalizing itself like this? It's per usual, right? <laughs> I mean, it feels like every year this happens, right? I mean, I, I, I think what happens, you know, Washington kind of got knocked against a few years ago for scheduling an Oregon-esque non-conference, you know, the Bowling Green, Portland State, San Jose State, and they just, just roll right over them. This year, you know, they schedule Auburn, uh, lose a close one. Auburn is high up there in the rankings you know, for you know, like a good part of the first half of the year. Uh, and then Auburn comes back down to earth. You know, Auburn, I don't think it's ranked right now. So, uh, it's just, it's just, it's a combination of cannibalization within the conference play, but then also too, it's like trying to find that balance of, uh, should we really schedule like a top tier non-conference team? Or is there a way that we can kind of, I don't want to say like skate by and like kind of cheat our way through a little bit, but it, there, there's got to be some kind of balance where you can schedule like a Mississippi state and still get, you know, like credit for a, a, a stronger SEC program win. You yeah, know, I, I guess the challenge with that is how much respect does a PAC 12 have? Because if you run the table in the PAC 12 or have a, if you're a one loss PAC 12 team and you have that cream puff schedule for your non-conference, is that held against you? You know, the PAC 12 mm-hmm. isn't the SEC. So it's going to be a little bit tougher there. It's not respected like that. Yet you see a season like this where Washington is probably, you know, they're a top 25 team. Washington State's a top 25 team. Oregon right now top 25. Utah in the top 25. Stanford in the top 25. Like all these teams are in there. But yet there's a good chance that Pac-12 is going to be left out of the playoff once again. Because right now the only team that I guess you could probably make a case for would be Washington State. And they have to run the table. You know, they still got to play Washington later this year. So, you know, it's I think the Pac-12 is kind of in that rough spot. And yet at the same time, this cannibalization that happens where you've got a lot of pretty good to very good teams, but no great team. Even then, great teams might lose a game or two in this conference. And, you know, then they're left out. Yeah. Uh, Washington State makes the most sense, just given their wins and losses right now. Um, but I mean, I guess like if you even say that they run the table, so they're at Stanford this weekend, then they go to Cal, then at Colorado, Colorado, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they, if they Colorado wins the next few games, they could be ranked against. So that could be another win against a quality opponent. Um, Arizona at home, right? Second to last game of the year. Then Washington, Washington will presumably be ranked going into that one, too. I, I, I guess I just struggle. So if they're coming out of the north. You know, all the quality teams are in the north, mm-hmm. right? So they're not going to get that extra game in the conference championship uh, to, to somewhat, you know, solidify their spot in the four-plane tee-off. Excuse me. Oh, yeah, God. It just, yeah, I don't know what's I've happening. I've heard there. that before. It's, it's approaching my bedtime. It's almost 8.30. I'm, I'm getting a little <laughs> a little drowsy over here. But, uh, yeah, you know, I guess, right, just just to take care of business, to to punch their ticket to, to, to the playoff. Like, uh, let's say let's say Utah wins. Let's say Utah wins the South. Utah wins out. They would be 10-2. and two. They would probably be pretty – I mean, they would be a top 15 team. Is that going to be enough in a year where Notre Dame's looking like they could go undefeated or 11-1, and one, which will probably – Hold up one of those spots. Yeah, two lost Pac-12 team. I can't see that a two lost Pac-12 yeah. team getting in, even with some good wins that no. they have to have. Yeah, it, it it seems like we're already out, right? Just because the 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 the, the household names of the Washingtons, the USC's, the Stanford's. You know, I guess you could have made the case for the Oregon, just because you know it's not that we're not too far removed from those Marcus Mariota days when they were in the playoff. But uh, you know, just just those household names that everyone's accustomed to across the country really don't have a chance now at this point. Yeah, and I, and that's a shame. But I think mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a like. It's not a good thing for the Pac-12 to not be in the playoff. At the same time, having a strongish conference, if you end up with five teams in the top 25 by the time the season's over, that's not a bad thing. But yet, if none of them are in the top eight, even the top four, it's just kind of like, well, had a lot of very good but nothing great, and then you still don't get any respect, even if the conference is pretty good. Even though Arizona's not part of the pretty good, like we were hoping they would be. 
Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I, I, I would love to see a situation where uh, there's. Well, I guess that would mean that Washington State beat us. So maybe I wouldn't love to see it. But where I was going with that was to see a, an eleven and one Washington State team, Pac-12 champ. Obviously, and they win the North. What's what 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 the logic would be for keeping them out? You know, is it simply because they're not a household name? You know, it's not somebody with the, with the prestige of of a USC or a Washington, I guess, uh, that that they've built up over the last few years. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, but. I guess more to come on that, that point. Yeah. I'm yeah, just curious it, it, because that's after Oregon won't. losing last week to Washington state. Now it's like Washington state is the highest ranked pac 12 team. And they're at number 14 right now. Yeah. You know, so even they're not getting a lot of respect and I doubt they make it through the rest of the season unscathed, which means at best you have a two loss pac 12 team trying to get into the playoff. And that's just not going to happen. No, it's very unlikely. So, but, and, and that's the other thing too. I mean, look, the cannibalization through eight weeks of the season has already occurred. It's not over. You know, like these, they were still going to keep beating up on each other. That's just how it goes. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I will say though, and then we'll wrap it up with this, uh, three years ago now, the Christian McCaffrey here, when he got robbed of the Heisman and they also, they being Stanford were also robbed of a, postseason playoff trip that that year they were a two loss team and they were held out because Oklahoma who at the time the big 12 did not have a conference championship I believe Oklahoma I think that might have been the year that they beat that they beat Ohio State in the horseshoe I'm not exactly sure whatever it was Ohio State got in it was kind of a questionable resume you know either way could have gone Oklahoma just got smoked. They got smoked. I think it was by Clemson that year. Mm-hmm. And there's no, you can't tell me, you can't tell me that, that Stanford was not the better choice. I mean, the, just those David Shaw coach defenses, you know, we see it week in week out, you know, we've seen them kind of stumble uh, once or twice this year, but you know what you're getting with the David Shaw defense. That was, I think even when Blake Martinez now with the green Bay Packers was on that mm-hmm. team, you know, they, they, they had a tons of NFL guys on that team and they were held out of the playoffs. West coast bias. Two, two team, two loss, Pac-12 teams just don't get in, and it sucks. No, and it's not good for the conference, you know. No. But at the same time, I don't know how you change it. And until – because I mean, back in the day when USC was probably cheating a little bit, but they were really good, and then Oregon was really good for a stretch, even though they never won the national championship. But it took those types of teams to get out of the Pac-12 and make it to the BCS to be in a playoff. They had to be super elite, you know, undefeated, mm-hmm. one loss maybe in the right season. But in terms of if you're going to try to sneak in with two losses, and it depends on how many other teams have maybe one or two losses as well. But right now you've got three teams, you know, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame undefeated. You've got UCF also undefeated right now and a bunch of one-loss teams to where I don't see any way a two-loss Pac-12 team can make it. And that's why I guess if you care about the conference, you're rooting for Washington State to run the table now. But I don't think anybody in Tucson or anybody who's listening to this podcast is going to be hoping for Washington State to run the table given no. who's left on their schedule. Right. Yeah, I, I, I would I would personally love nothing more than them be as highly ranked as possible. And let's go up there, obviously, and uh, and rip the rug out from underneath. And that would be fantastic for that to happen. But mm-hmm. um, so, Adam, yeah, I, I went back and, and looked this up just because that's going to bug me. Uh, so that year, Stanford and this was this was kind of the goofy thing that kept them out. So. Uh, you know, obviously Christian McCaffrey, again, that's up for debate. Uh, you won't convince me otherwise Christian McCaffrey should have won the Heisman that year and he did not. But so that year it was the 2015 season Stanford opened up at Northwestern. Okay. So that was, that was Labor Day weekend. The first weekend of college football, they traveled to Northwestern for the, the 9am slot, right? So they were kicked off super early. Uh, week one kind of rusty, I guess, you know, just, just getting in, trying to find the flow of the mm-hmm. season, just everything lost 16, six from that point forward over the next 13 games they played, they lost one of them and it was at home to Oregon 38, 36. That team finished the regular season 10 and two beat USC number, number 20 USC at the time in the PAC 12 championship game, 41, 22, just took care of business, wasn't good enough to make the make, make the college football playoff, ended up playing Iowa in the Rose Bowl, smoked Iowa 45-16. For everyone who doesn't remember what the four-team playoff was that year, uh, so again, you know the, the calendar changes, right? So it's the 2015 season, but the games happened in 2016. 
Clemson beat Oklahoma 37-17. That was, again, that, that, that was the one that I was alluding to earlier as, mm-hmm. as the lopsided. That wasn't even the worst one. I completely forgot about this. Alabama crushed Michigan State 38-0. And this actually brings back the reason Iowa got into the Rose Bowl was because that Michigan State-Iowa game. Do you remember that? Yeah. It was the Big Ten championship. And everyone was like, oh, my God, like this defensive struggle. You know, it was like Alabama, LSU, uh, circa, what was that? The, like the Dante Howard, the Dante Hightower and the Tyron Matthew. I think Patrick Peterson was already gone at that point. But I think that was like the 2011 championship game. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, so much talent. These teams are so good. And it's like. No, it turns out they both sucked. <laughs> they like weren't Michigan good, State, yeah. Yeah, Michigan State got smoked by Alabama, didn't even get on the board, and then Iowa just got embarrassed 45-16. So that was our best chance in recent years, and I think uh, that'll, I guess that'll remain the closest we've been in quite some time. Pity. Pity, pity party, but I don't know, whatever. It's going to continue, and uh, you know, better luck next year. Happy Gilmore, right? <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but yes, have to go with that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So for all of our listeners, thanks so much. Uh, hopefully this time next week, we'll be reporting on something good. It's been a while since we've had, uh, but there will be some big news as I understand coming down the line, perhaps a Terry Armstrong commitment as the Twitter buzz has it. Yeah. Let's, let's keep that going. And then of course this time next week, we will be one week closer to basketball, but, uh, this weekend, enjoy the game, seven 30, uh, local time, Tucson kick, on ESPN. If you're going down there, have fun, be responsible, enjoy the game. Until next week, bear down.